Turn with me, if you will, to Ephesians 3, uh, 14 through 21. I want to read that glorious prayer of Paul again in its entirety. wonderful to see the heart of the Apostle, and I believe also Father, Son, and Holy Spirit uh, behind this prayer as we read it aloud now. This is God's holy word. For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God remains forever. Praise his name. Well, it's been about four months since we opened this text last, and we looked at this as a prayer uh, for you and me to be praying for ourselves, for our family, uh, for Christ Presbyterian Church. And by God's grace, you've seen uh, some difference uh, in your own lives and in your hunger and thirst uh, for the Lord Jesus Christ himself. And I noticed that even last week that Pastor Mike preached or prayed this prayer in the service. Did you notice that? She went through Ephesians and then he got to this and prayed through this prayer for us, applying that prayer for us. This prayer is very powerful. This prayer uh, is the means and the goal that we would see in our lives. This is God's will for your life. Are you looking for God's will? Do you want to know what God has for you? Well, he wants you to know his love. And this morning, by God's grace, as we are finished, then you will have a a greater assurance of your faith. You will be able to say with more assurance, yes, I know that Jesus Christ loves me, that he loves this church. So let's look for that. Look for that in uh, your own life. And may God, by his spirit, do a wonderful work uh, in us. This is very important for you and me The New Testament tells us that in the end days, in the last days, 
love will grow cold. Can you imagine the church of Jesus Christ having a love that is cold? Essentially having no love at all or doing what Mike preached the other day, be warm and be filled. We're praying for you without doing anything for their basic needs. And so for us, brothers and sisters, this is of supreme importance to know the love of God, to rejoice in it, to excel in it, to worship him for it, to be strengthened in it, to be able to stand and know that the one who loves me is with me. This is a great, great subject. Paul says it surpasses knowledge. And when he says it surpasses knowledge, brothers and sisters, he's not saying that we cannot know the love of God at all. He is saying that it's like a vast ocean that a great elephant can swim in without touching the bottom, and yet a young child might wade into and comprehend on the shore. Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. How precious that is. That from a young age, a child might have his heart warmed that Christ Jesus, his Savior, loves him. Well, this morning we want to look at this whole idea of growing deeper in love. And I want to look at only one phrase. I was telling Mike two weeks ago about how much I wanted to accomplish. And I've had to hew this down to about a third of what I had thought we could look at. In verse 18, you'll see the phrase that Paul desires that the church know the breadth and the depth and the length and the width of Christ's love. And that's what we want to look at today. Each of those categories, each of those aspects of dimensions of the love of Jesus. So let's look at each of these one at a time. And y'all pray for me because this is basically four points instead of three. And by the way, I was helped immensely by the expository, expository commentary on Ephesians by the late Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones. Do you know the doctor? Wonderful, wonderful writer beyond his time. Everything that he has written just about uh, is wonderful, so I would recommend him heartily. As we think of the dimensions of Christ's love, I believe we can go back to chapter 2 of Ephesians, where Paul teaches us about the church. The Gentiles and the Jews are coming together for the first time within the body of the church of Jesus Christ in a like faith. And they are equal members of the church. And they are, Paul says, like stones which constitute the walls of the church. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. The stone which the builders have rejected has become 
the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing, and it is marvelous in our eyes. The cornerstone was an impeccably hewn stone, absolutely perfect in every dimension. Its height, its depth, its length and breadth, its lines proceeding from itself to give the walls of the church around it perfect form. So Christ, in his love for the church, provides the direction, the lines, the stability of walls on the magnificent building which is his church. Well, first, let's look then at the breadth of God's love. The breadth of God's love. In the book of Revelation, in chapter 5, 9, we read, For you were slain, and by your blood your rans you ransomed people for God from every tribe and language and people and nation. The vision that John had was before the throne of God. And he writes that there was 10,000 times 10,000 of angels, of living creatures, and of the redeemed, Old Testament and New Testament people, all praising the Lamb of God because he had redeemed men and women from all around the world. That's the breadth of Christ's love. He's got the whole world in his hands, brothers and sisters. That's why we do world missions. We're sending people out to find those whom Christ has elected before the foundations of the world to be his. Listen to chapter 7, verse 9. Behold a great multitude that no one could number from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages standing before the throne and before the Lamb. A number, a multitude that cannot be counted, gazing upon the glorious face of the exalted Christ. They are unashamed. They are full of awe. They are full of delight, full of joy, joy and fullness. You might even say they were excited to be there. And what's so wonderful, especially as we think about our days and our nation, there were men and women and children of every color, of every nation, of every tribe, rubbing elbows, standing side by side, raising their hands, but fixed in a transfixed gaze upon the exalted, living, glorious Jesus Christ, their Savior, unified in a like faith, unified in the love of the Savior. And in a moment, you and I will gather around his table, and we will gather. We don't see them when we do this, but it's happening There'll be other churches having the Lord's Supper as well in this country and around the world. And there's always, there is always someone 
praying to and praising Jesus Christ somewhere in the world at any given moment. Praise his name. He deserves it. May he receive the glory and the honor. I love it when David says, I will praise your name forever and ever, now, in this life, and in the life to come. I will praise your name forever and ever. And we do that with all of the saints in whom he delights. You and I are loved. We are extremely honored to be a part of God's forever family. So the breadth of God's love deals with his love from men and women of all around the world. As we look then at the length of Christ's love for the church, Lloyd-Jones says this, quote, the length surely conveys the endless character of the love of Christ. The endless character of the love of Christ. Jeremiah speaks of God's love and says, I have loved you with an everlasting love. The love of Jesus Christ for the church is from eternity. And it goes into eternity. It takes us into eternity. Before the beginning, before creation, the Father and the Son. Now this is, we're not going to be turning to Scripture for this, but only thinking theologically. The Son and the Father made a covenant together, and we call it the covenant of redemption, of redemption or the covenant of grace. The Father promised to give the Son a people that would praise Him and worship Him and honor Him and adore Him and follow Him as a shepherd wherever they went, wherever He went. But the Father said, but you've got to become one of them. And you must die for them. You must suffer for them. You must pay the penalty for them. The Father also promised to highly exalt the Son and for the people to be blessed forever and ever. Listen to Psalm 139. We think about verse 16 in our own individual knowledge of God, by God, that he knows us. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. That God had planned each and every one of our days. That God could see our unformed substance before it was even formed. That God knew who we would be and were and there was a plan for our lives. And that God had done it. The book of Revelation tells us that our names were, quote, written in the Lamb's book of life before the foundations of the world. Isn't that wonderful? 
that he has planned for us to be saved. We are here because God is working out his wonderful plan in our lives. And that plan is that we know his love, that we'd be rooted and grounded in it, that we'd be motivated by it, that we'd be melted by it, that we would be those that indeed would be able to suffer the greatest suffering because we have the greatest confidence in his love. Though he slay me, yet will I trust him. Job knew the love of God for himself. And that God knew our names before he said, let there be light. That is stunning. That is worth our meditation and our contemplation. And that's what Paul prays that we do. That we think about the greatness, the depth of God's love for us. This length of it from eternity to eternity. And isn't it interesting that the Bible even says from the east as it is separated from the west, so far has he paid for our sins. So far has he separated our sins from us. And why did he pay for our sins? because of his great love. So the Father has loved us from eternity. Jesus Christ has loved us from eternity. And we can know this, we can rejoice in it by faith, but who can truly, adequately elaborate on it? And that's why you and I, just as this prayer says, must pray that we be strengthened in the inner man in the Holy Spirit, so that Christ may dwell more and more at home in our hearts, that he might teach us himself about his love for us. Does the Lord change? Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. His love does not change. His love does not ebb or flow. His love does not stop and start. Do you ever feel like that though? The toast gets burned in the morning, the egg falls on the floor, sunny side up. Where's the love of God? And of course there are much more serious things such as what Madison is going through. Where's the love of God? It's right there all along. It's never changed. It's never, ever changed. The ESV over and over translates God's love as steadfast love. It is the same. It is forever. It is eternal. And it is for those who are given to the Son to redeem. This is meant to encourage you, brothers and sisters. It's meant to bolster your faith. It's meant to, like in the the end of the book of Malachi, send you out like a calf, skipping and jumping for the freedom to be out of the stall. That you're excited about life. You're excited about the love of God for you because it gives him good pleasure. 
And it will encourage us in the difficulties, in the tribulations. In the world, you will have tribulation. Yet in the midst of tribulation, may God give us the grace to meditate and to remember the length of the love of God and that we are held up by unseen hands. Sometimes, frankly, brothers and sisters, we are too busy to be still and know that he is our God. In Romans 8, 38-39, Paul writes, For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels nor rulers, nor things present nor things to come, nor powers nor height nor depth nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Amen. It is more valuable to us than gold or silver or rubies or our lives in this world. Thy loving kindness is better than life. My lips will praise you, thus will I bless you. I will lift up my hands to your name. The eternal, unchangeable, ever steadfast love of Jesus Christ for the church. I pray that you have tasted it. I pray that you know that God is good because of the length of his love for you. Next, let's examine the depth of God's love. And here we see it perfectly displayed in Philippians 2. I'm not going to read that now, but you know that passage. The Son was in the form of God, yet despite his exalted position, the Son takes the form of a servant in love to the Father and in love for the people the Father has given him. He was, quote, born in the likeness of men. He dwelt for nine months in the womb of a virgin. And he was obedient to death, even to death on a cross. Brothers and sisters, no human being can conceive of such a Savior. It is beyond, he is beyond our imagination of how good and completely wonderful, righteous and humble he is. And then you think of all of his self-humiliation as he willingly obeyed the Father and you think also of his being willing to go and place himself in the hands of wicked, unbelieving men. And how he suffered by their hate poured out upon him. He was arrested under the cover of darkness, betrayed by one of his own. He was tried illegally at night, beaten, mocked, had his beard yanked out. He was spat upon, scourged, 
and that in and of itself would often kill prisoners. And then he had to carry his crossbar until he collapsed out of utter exhaustion and loss of blood to Simon would carry that crossbar for him. When they reached Golgotha, he was nailed to that cross, yet he prays to the Father that those who do this might be forgiven. And isn't it interesting, as Bud read today, we read that those men, as they saw all the events, the darkness and the earthquake, They looked at Christ on the cross and said, surely this was the Son of God. Christ's prayer being answered even as he hung on the cross. About 12 noon, the sky darkens and it remains dark for the next three hours. The sun is not hidden by clouds the sky grows dark. The Father is turning the smile of his face from his beloved Son, that he is loved and adored and has proceeded from him from eternity. And it was the Father's goodwill to crush him, that he might redeem this people and be exalted. This is the depth, the depth of the love of our Savior. The darkness was a result of all of our sin coming upon the Savior. Literally, the Bible says, he did not become a sinner, but he became sin on our behalf. The Father had to, by his own character and his holiness, turn his back on his beloved Son as he suffered for you and me. And this is why Jesus was able to die. He truly took my sin upon him. The wages of sin is death. If he had not taken sin upon himself, how could the eternal son die? But he laid down his life For you and me, he did it for love, the utter depth of nothing else but his love. God has demonstrated his love for us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Absolutely 100% undeserved unearned, unmerited, but freely and fully given the life of Jesus Christ for you, for me.
That's the depth of, depth of his love. The height of his love is God's highest purpose for us. Romans 8, Paul writes that God is working all of these things out in our lives to conform us into the very image of his beloved son, Jesus Christ. This is his purpose for us. John writes, we will see him as he is because we shall be like him. That is good news, brothers and sisters. And this is exactly what Jesus desired when he prayed for us in his high priestly prayer in John 17, that we would see him and be with him and experience his glory. His glory that he has had before the foundations of the world. So Jesus, in dying for us, did not merely die to forgive our sins. He did die to forgive our sins, but he died, this is what uh, Lloyd-Jones says, to make us better. And brothers and sisters, if we are in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ, I'm going to be a better person. You're going to be better people. And one of the things I love about this is this whole idea that he's going to redeem not only our souls and make us perfect and sin will be finally done away with, but he will also redeem our bodies. No more vitamins, no more supplements, taking a walk only if you wish or if the Savior desires. I got to go for a walk today. We will have glorified bodies. C.S. Lewis says that we should never ever look down our nose at one another because we don't know how wonderful and glorious that person will be when they are glorified in the spirit in a fully glorified body. That will be something to see. Fully restored. Jesus said in the book of Revelation, Behold, I am making all things new. And we're a part of that. We're a part of creation. We're being restored. And the wonderful thing is that it begins even now. We can experience it even now. If any man be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. We will be before his throne, glorified like he is. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. There will be no condemnation before the throne. There will be no shame. We will be at home. We will be at home, brothers and sisters. Think about that before the throne. In his holy presence, 
lost in seeing his glory, his majesty, his power, all of his perfections. And because the knowledge of God's love is unknowable, unplumbable, we will be before that throne of God desiring to know more and more and to understand more and more. And God, as he understands our heart, will expand the capabilities of our hearts so that we will be able to take in more and more of this knowledge. He will communicate to us who he really is, who we really are, and show us more of the depth of his love. So eternity will never be boring. Lost in wonder, love, and praise. And this is the wonderful part, that we can begin to have it now. And that's why we are to pray this wonderful prayer. That we are to be looking to be filled to all the fullness of God. By God's grace, one day we will look at that. Get Mike to do that. James Montgomery Boyce tells a story that the army of Napoleon had captured a prison that was used by the Spanish and the Spanish Inquisition. And there in the depths of the dark and dank dungeons, they found a long-deceased prisoner, and his ankle was still manacled to the wall. But there on the wall, this prisoner who was faithful unto death had scratched a crude cross and had written the words above the cross, the height, and below the cross, the depth, and to the side of the cross, the width and the breadth on the other side. And so that his last thoughts on this earth were of the love of God through the cross of Jesus Christ. And I will tell you, because of the love of God, he was in great delight despite his surroundings. And the love of God condescended to his situations and brightened his soul so that he had a feast though he were starving. This is why we must pray. This is why we must know the love of God to understand the height and length and breadth and depth of the love of God through all situations. His love is an everlasting love. Psalm 107, 1 says this, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. 
His steadfast love is everlasting. Let the redeemed of the Lord say so, whom he has redeemed from trouble and gathered in from the lands, from the east, from the west, from the north, and from the south. More directions of the breadth and the length and the height and depth of the love of our God for his church, for you, for me. Let's pray.